Awesome. Well, it's uh, again a joy to be together. Um, Pastor Norb is away on vacation. Um, got away with Tina. It's going to be mindful and prayerful for him as well. Uh, he would just experience rest. So he's left things in my care. So hopefully we're all good. Um, and this morning we'll be concluding our Guarding Your Heart series. Our message is titled, Vices Staring in the Face of Grace, Guarding Our Hearts Against Legalism. How many of you enjoy lists? Would you say you're like a list person? You like to-do lists, yeah? I am a list person. I love to-do lists. To-do lists seem to propel me forward in life. Uh, Whenever I'm feeling anxious or overwhelmed uh, with what's going on, I tend to sit down. I go through my calendar. I try to find all my deliverables, and I just write them down, right? I want to figure out all that it is that I need to do. How many of you have ever written at the top of a list something you've already done? Yeah, yes, I do that all the time as well because there's something about to-do lists where it's like there's this built-in reward, right? Every time you get to check something off, it just like seems to release all these happy feelings within you. You're like, yes, I've accomplished something. And you can look at the next thing and keep moving forward. Uh, if you went to our house right now, my wife and I are preparing to, to be away from our kids for a few days. We're going to Victoria next week. Really looking forward to that. But there are lists everywhere, right? Like the kids' bedtime routines and our packing lists and all the things that we're hopeful to not forget as we head out. Um, so lists are interesting, right? Because they, they motivate us. They remind us what needs to be done. Um, I don't know if you're like me with this, but um, I find that sometimes my obsessions with lists translates into my Bible reading. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, because the Bible is full of all sorts of lists. Uh, We looked at one of them not long ago in Colossians, where we read about Paul talking about the importance for us to take off ungodliness and put on godliness. And and it's interesting when you come to these lists in in the Bible, because like in Colossians chapter 3, Put to, de- put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil, desires, greed. And you might read that and go, yeah, check. The next one go, oh, I'm not so sure about that one. Next one, check. Next one, check. And then you keep reading and you get to, to, to put on the good things. Put on the new self. Uh, clothe yourself in, in Christ's righteousness in these things. And you read through this and you're like, yes, I want that. I want that type of life. And you start maybe checking off things that you're doing well and maybe things that you're not doing well. I don't know, does anyone do this? I do this all the time. I shouldn't do this. Well, this past series with the Guarding the Heart, this Guarding the Heart series, we've been looking at a different kind of list. It's been a different kind of list for me anyway. Because if I'm really honest with you, when, when Norb said that we were going to do the seven deadly sins, I was like, oh, like how interesting. And if you're just joining us this morning or you're just checking out our church, uh, we're just coming off the end of a series on the seven deadly sins. Um, and the seven deadly sins, when we, when we looked at these and Norb presented this list, I was like, this is going to be an interesting series. But I'd be lying to you if I said that there weren't certain items on that list of seven that I was like, I could probably tune that message out. You know, I thought about, oh, gluttony. Like, I, I'm not gluttonous. I don't need to worry about that. And then I spent a week writing a sermon on gluttony, and I came to the end of it being like, oh, man, Lord, I need help. Apparently, I am a glutton. Or the series that uh, when we did the message on greed, right? It's like, I'm probably pretty good in this area. And then, again, you, you sit down with it. You listen to the sermons, and it's like, oh, shoot. There's another one. I can't check that off my list either. I don't even want to talk about Pastor Norb's series uh, sermon on pride because I remember listening to it and being like, Lord, I don't even want to spend time thinking about this stuff because I feel so convicted as Pastor Norb is preaching on it. 
So I don't know what your experience has been like uh, through this series. But the reality for me is that as, as I've been looking at these, I, I'm seeing all these areas in my life where I'm struggling with sin. And it's kind of like, shoot, I don't want to struggle with sin. These things aren't good. But as I've thought about sin, and, and there's a, a recent sermon I listened to, Pastor Tyler State, and I, I loved how he defines sin, where he says that sin is seeking to meet an illegitimate need. Sorry, t- seeking, oh, let's just say legitimate. Seeking t- to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. Seeking to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. And when I think about sin in that sense, it makes, it makes sense to me why these vices are something I tend to struggle with. Because within my heart, and I'm sure within all of our hearts, there's all of these legitimate needs. These things that God has created us for. But the vices seem to be these things that well up within us when we're seeking to meet those needs in a way outside of God's design or his plan for us. So I found that this list of vices have revealed to me where I go uh, to, find, to find my identity. Where food becomes a mean of, of social status. Where my net worth and my type of possessions come to define me. Where I think about envy, where not being like that person or that person is a way to cure my own discomforts. These lists have revealed to me areas where I go for comfort. When I'm feeling down and out, when I'm wanting to feel better, maybe I go to food. Maybe I start looking to different possessions or maybe even I seek physical pleasure. These, leads, these lists also seem to reveal where I go for help. When I find myself needing help, when I find myself needing a means, be, something beyond myself. As I, I love this phrase from John Mark Comer. He talks about this idea of different soteriologies. And in Christian theology, soteriology is, is the doctrine of salvation. And it's just this idea of how did Christ redeem the world? But John Mark, he, he, looking at the city of, of Portland where he lives, he would say that Portland has a soteriology of sexuality. That, that there's a message within the city of Portland where people are thinking, man, if I can just have a certain sexual experience or I can find fulfillment uh, sexually, then I will be saved. Then I will experience the good life. Then things will be great for me. And as I meditate that in the context of the vices, I see how quickly so many of these vices offer me different soteriologies. Different ways that I might feel saved or safe. But as we've learned over these past eight weeks, these vices do not offer salvation. At best, they offer a temporary relief of some of the pain inside of us. At worst, these vices literally These vices literally wreak havoc on our bodies, whether that's through gluttony or lust. They bring damage to our souls, and they disorder our relationships and perceptions of others. Friends, ultimately engaging in these vices leaves us wanting more, because the vices can never deliver what they promise. Pride's promise of security leads to the falls (laughs) that we experience. Lust's promise for intimacy or pleasure eventually delivers emptiness and addiction. In gluttony, food's promise for comfort or satisfaction never endures to the next meal. Anger's promise 
of justification delivers only lasting bitterness, distrust of others, and skepticism. Sloth's promise to find rest ultimately delivers only restlessness as it starves our spirit and soul and body of nourishment. Envy's promise of comfort promise uh, envy's promise of comfort resulting from others' pain only delivers bitterness and fractures our relationships. Greed's promise of security, pleasure, and comfort delivers an unquenchable thirst for more, a disregard for others, and an inability to experience contentment. So the logical conclusion of all of this is that we need to get rid of these vices from our lives. We need to deal with them. We need to not allow them to be the source of our identity or the source of our pleasure or our comfort or the source of our salvation. But I want to propose to us that if we're looking at these vices as a list to cross off, as if we were going to the grocery store or reading a book titled Seven Sins to Conquer for a Great Life, I think we're missing the point. Because here's the problem. When I look at to-do lists and I see this list of things that I need to do, and, and, and when I muster up enough energy, I begin to think, oh, I got this. I can do this. I can overcome these obstacles. I look at something like gluttony. It's like, gluttony, you're out of here. I'm taking you on. You're done. Or greed. No, I'm done. I'm done with greed. I'm going to get this. I got this. But when I read Scripture, it seems abundantly clear to me that our proclamation, when confronted with the sin in our lives, should not be, oh, I got this. But rather, our proclamation should be, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. The problem with looking at the vices as, with a list approach is that it will likely lead to either self-righteousness or self-condemnation. Or in other words, our battle against the vices can easily turn legalistic. Where we just look at them systematically and we decide, okay, these are the things that I shouldn't do. These are the things that I should do. I just got to figure it out. I got to make it happen. I got to muster up enough strength and enough willpower to overcome these obstacles in my life. But I want to suggest if that's what we're trying to do, we simply return to the root vice of pride. Our, our, our salvation shifts from being in God to actually being in ourselves. Instead, I want to say that this list of vices provides for us the often needed perspective of looking at ourselves rightly and seeing our deep need for God. Our life posture should be looking unto Jesus. Our declaration should be, Lord, I need you. And so while it's important for us to consider the things we shouldn't be doing, and it's important for us to muster up some willpower to say no to sin, and we're going to talk about that in a second, to simply look at this list of vices as as an obstacle that we need to overcome, to become legalistic about it is not helpful I think it will lead to defeat in the long run. Rather, what the journey that we've been on in these last eight weeks and the the thoughts and the emotions that you have felt as you've considered the vices of gluttony and pride and envy and greed and sloth and lust, as you've thought about these things, what it should do in us is propel us towards Jesus. It should cause us to cry out to him. 
It should cause us to see our insufficiencies and turn our eyes to him who is fully sufficient. So this morning I want to conclude this series of messages with this exhortation. We need to receive grace. We need to receive grace. Because when we look at a list like the vices, we should see our insufficiencies. We should see our weaknesses. We should see that we are in so many ways undeserving. And what I love about the grace of God that we read about in the New Testament is that the grace of God responds to these observations. And the grace of God says, yes, that's true. You have missed the mark. You have pursued a life apart from God. You have not done the best in loving God and others. You have allowed your life to be governed by vice rather than living out of godly virtue. Grace doesn't ignore any of that. Grace doesn't sweep it under the rug. But grace responds to the reality that we've made a mess of things and it says that I still love you. I'm committed to you. I will not treat you as your sins deserve. I do not condemn you. This is the grace of God. And I find this to be a message that is so countercultural because we live in a culture that I think wants to ignore our lesser qualities. <laughs> we live in a culture where when you see things in your life that maybe aren't lining up or, or aren't the things that you want others to see, we tend to sweep them under the rug. We certainly would never post them to Instagram or, or shout from the rooftop our insecurities or our insufficiencies. But the grace of God is not interested in sweeping your insufficiencies under the rug. The grace of God is not interested in whitewashing the sin in your life. The grace of God says that you are not defined by these vices. Rather, we are defined by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So when we consider the vices, we can say, yes, there is sin in my life. Yes, I do operate out of vice rather than virtue in certain situations. But because of Jesus, I am not defined by it. And that he who began a good work in me is continuing that work. The word grace in Hebrew is this picture of bending or stooping down. It's the picture um, of royalty coming out and being among commoners or the peasants. And, and imagine being in, in England and, and going to the palace and meeting the queen. I wouldn't for a second think that the queen would look at me or have anything to do with me, let alone meet me. But I'm just happy to be there. I'm happy to see the queen. But I understand she's royalty and I'm not. But imagine the queen coming to me and saying, hey, what's your name? Do you want to come into the palace and have, have coffee with me? She probably wouldn't have tea. I'd ask her for coffee. But, but imagine that interaction. Imagine being welcomed in to her presence. That doesn't make sense. Adam, what did you do to deserve it? Adam, what did you do that, that caused the queen to look at you? And I'd say, absolutely nothing. I have no idea why she did that. I have no idea why she stooped down to my level. I have no idea why she entered into my world. That's the picture of grace. That is the picture of grace. The story in Scripture of a God who is totally holy, totally pure, totally great, 
totally other than us, all-knowing, all-powerful, pure, beautiful, and right in every sense of the word, stooping down into our reality. The commoners, the people who tend to make a mess of things, people who have perverted and distorted the image of God, people who have rejected God's beauty, And he came and he chose to be among us and to be one of us. That is grace. There's so many verses we could look at in the New Testament. One of my favorites, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. If you've read Romans, you know in Romans chapter 7, Paul is reflecting on sin at work in his life. Paul is reflecting on how the very things that he wants to do, the very things he knows he should do, the virtuous life that he should live, he's not doing it. He keeps dropping the ball. And he he ends Romans 7 with this question, who is going to save me from this this body of death? And you turn the page to Romans chapter 8. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul says it well also in Ephesians chapter 2. And in Ephesians chapter 2, we read that all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. We were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. God stooping down to our level and working salvation. So friends, we receive grace as we first recognize our need for it. All the reflections that you've had over these last eight weeks, as you've contemplated and reflected on these vices, as you've contemplated on on gluttony and pride and lust and greed and envy and anger, and it's outworking in your life, don't sweep it under the rug. Don't try to just ignore it. Don't try to be, oh, I'm just, I'm just going to try better. No, acknowledge it. Recognize your need for the grace of God. I had Lorraine read for us um, Titus chapter 2, um, verse, verse 11. Um, and in Titus chapter 2, similar to, to Romans chapter 7, in, in Titus 2, what's coming before it is a series of exhortations, all these things that the churches are to do. In a sense, you could say that Paul gave the churches a list. And having given them this list and coming off all of this instruction, Paul reminds them that the grace of God has appeared, offering salvation to all people. We might ask, well, how has grace appeared? Well, in the person, the life, the death and resurrection of Jesus, offering salvation to all. Jesus coming and granting us forgiveness of our sins. Access to an abundant life. Access to eternity with God. And it comes and it offers that salvation to all people. So while my sin leads me to find help in things that will ultimately disappoint me, the grace of God offers me true help. 
While the vices lead into behaviors seeking to meet legitimate needs in illegitimate ways, the grace of God provides a way for me to meet those legitimate needs in a legitimate way. God comes to me in that brokenness. God meets me in that place of need. As we reflected on on these vices and maybe think through the ways that our hearts are a little bit disordered and we're, we're not totally in line with what God wants, I think often our reflex is, well, I need to set that aside so that I can be with God, or I need to stop doing this behavior before I can be with God. But grace doesn't say that. Grace comes to us in that place of need. Jesus comes to us in that place of need. Jesus comes to us in our weakness. Jesus comes to us while that vice is operating in our lives. When you are at your weakest, when you are at your most vulnerable, when you are at a place where you feel like I'm in my most sinful moment, the grace of God is there. Jesus is there, waiting for you, longing for you to turn to him. He is with you in the midst of your sin, not running away from you. We read about this reality in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with us in our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Now what I love about this passage, I was uh, recently um, in in a message I was listening to, they they talked about how we can translate the word empathize as co-sufferer. That Jesus suffers with us. And when I think about that, I think about those moments in my life where I feel like I'm on the cusp of sin. Where that vice is totally at work in my heart and I'm having trouble saying no and it's like, oh, what do you do? Jesus is with you in that moment. Jesus empathizes with you. He's suffering alongside of you. And not only did Jesus suffer the realities of temptation as he himself was tempted, but Jesus also ultimately suffered all the consequences of the outworking of our sin when he died on the cross. So first, with receiving grace, we need to acknowledge our need for it. I believe second, we receive grace as we turn towards, not away from God, in our weakness. We need to turn towards, not away from God, in our weakness. We talked about this yesterday morning at our men's breakfast and was really highlighting the practice of confession. That when we're faced with sin in our lives, our instinct so often is to hide from God. But through the practice of confession, instead of hiding from him, we turn towards him. And his grace meets us in those moments. Legalism, on the other hand, I think pushes us away from God. Because in legalism, we want to try to figure all this out on our own. But grace recognizes that we need God if we have any hope of being free from the vices at all. Well, Paul goes on in talking to Timothy, and I I believe that he, not only does he talk about grace appearing to them, but he also talks about how grace um, begins to work in them. As grace does its work, I believe we will find that it moves us away from the clutches of the vices. Now, first of all, we need to understand that I think one of the temptations we have in the church when it comes to the grace of God is to abuse it. We think, oh, well, there's, there's grace. 
So if I sin or if I just give in to that vice, it's, it's not a big deal. There, there's lots of grace. Or, you know, maybe, maybe I'll just put off dealing with this area of sin in my life. You know, I know God's like opened my eyes to it and stuff, but I don't want to deal with that right now, right? Or especially when we think about how the vices are, are giving us comfort. It's like, well, I don't want to be uncomfortable. And, and so sometimes we can get into this mentality of like, well, there's just lots of grace, so it doesn't really matter what I do. Well, Paul speaks to that in Romans chapter 6 when he says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. So how can we live in it any longer? How can we live in it any longer? In our text this morning in Titus chapter 2, so not only has grace appeared bringing us salvation, but it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. It teaches us to live self-controlled and upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So grace not only brings salvation, but grace teaches us how to say no to ungodliness. Grace leads us into righteous living. So the grace of God should not produce in us kind of a, a laid-back approach to sin where it's not a big deal. Rather, grace, the outworking of it in our lives, is greater obedience. The outworking of it is living a life of virtue and, and setting off that life that was governed by the vices. Friends, our freedom from the vices is not to be a matter of self-effort alone but a matter of receiving and applying the grace of God. Because in God's grace, we have abundant life available to us. Without God's grace, we would be abandoned to living by ourselves, lost to our own way, forced to figure out life and figure out the good life on our own. But because of God's grace, we have available to us a partner for the journey of life. We have available to us a guide, a friend, Grace is the person of Jesus Christ available to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what does that look like? What does grace teaching us to say no look like? I think really simply, by the grace of God, we partner with God to say no to ungodliness. That is how God's grace leads us away from the vices and into virtue. By God's grace, we learn to say no. And I think one of the ways we say no is by discovering ways to say yes to Jesus. Throughout this whole series, we've tried really hard to, to make sure that each message had very practical application. Because we really believe that spiritual practices are a way uh, to help form our lives or reform us uh, towards being more like Jesus. So we ask the question, how did Jesus live his life? And we want to identify the ways that Jesus lived his life. What were the habits and the practices that Jesus engaged in? And then we similarly want to engage in those practices as well. So we talk about things like silence and solitude, prayer and scripture reading, fasting, generosity, on and on and on. We could go a list of spiritual practices. Because really what we need, we need to recognize that the, 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 the vices of the seven deadly sins have formed habits in our hearts. Habits in our lives that are destructive. 
when we operate out of the vices, we're, we're operating out of instinct. It's like an impulse. It's not like we mean to do it or, or sit down and think about how am I going to engage in gluttony today, right? We don't get up and think about that. Rather, because we're trying to meet a legitimate need, we just happen to be meeting it in an illegitimate way. It's a reflex. We do it almost without thinking. So what we need is counter practices to change our reflexes. I hope that makes sense. So how might this work out? Well, let's say that you're feeling really stressed and you've got a situation in your life where, where things are just not working out very well and you're feeling really worked up about it. Your instinct or your practice is to eat way too much food or to eat an entire bag of chips just to deal with the stress. In this case, you're likely, you're likely saying yes within the vice of gluttony. Food has become your comfort. So in that moment, let's say you have this impulse to go to the fridge and, and get, that, get that food or, or go order food or whatever it is. And in that moment, you identify it. Whoa, okay, wait a minute. This is my impulse. I'm, try, I'm operating out of gluttony here. So first you identify it. Next, you receive God's grace in that moment. You recognize that God is with you right there. He's with you in your stress. He's with you in that moment. Now, what should you do? Well, what are some practices? The practice of prayer. You just bring that situation before God. The practice of forgiveness. Because maybe there's people in your life who are causing the stress and you need to just sit down and forgive them. Or maybe it's the practice of surrender. Where you sit down with all these things that are weighing heavily on your heart and you, you take them to God. And having done that, having invited God into the situation, having surrendered it back to him, now you can sit down and enjoy a few chips, right? <laughs> or let's take another situation. Let's say a coworker or a friend shows up at work or school and they're holding the brand new iPhone 13. It's alpine green. It has the fastest processor of any iPhone. And it's a long-lasting battery and you stare at your iPhone 7 which doesn't make it through the day anymore. It doesn't load very fast. So what's your impulse or your habit? Well, your impulse or habit is to look more into this phone and to discover all the ways that you think it could make you happy and then to make a plan to figure out how you, you can one day soon own the iPhone 13 for yourself. Here you're likely operating in the vice of greed, Believing that having this new phone will somehow add to your self-worth or give you some sort of comfort or, or add to your identity. Now, what are some counter-practices you could maybe engage in instead? Well, maybe in identifying this impulse of trying to learn more about this product or this item, you can practice getting alone with God instead of getting alone with all the info on the new iPhone. Instead of meditating on a product, meditate on Jesus. Meditate on his word. Meditate on what he has to say to you. Meet with God's grace. God's grace which gives you value not because of what you have, but because of who you are. Created and loved by God. Value not because of what you have, but because of who you are in Christ. Redeemed and a child of God. Let's look at one more scenario. Let's say you've been feeling neglected by your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend, or maybe you've just been feeling neglected by other people in general. You feel lonely. 
So your impulse is to go and find a private space and engage with images or videos online that you think will make you feel better and good in the moment. You are likely operating out of the vice of lust, believing that, uh, that, believing that intimacy will accompany those good feelings. But friends, even in that moment, the grace of God is there. It's available. And what if instead of engaging in those practices, you choose to practice confession, to bring the struggle before God? And then instead of the impulse of getting alone, you choose to practice community. And you seek out opportunities to experience loving community that provides real connection and real relational intimacy. And so on and so forth. Friends, the grace of God has appeared, offering us salvation and teaching us to say no. With every vice comes a list of habits and practices that we engage in when we operate out of those vices. But I believe that in God's word we find a counter practice to each and every one of those. That over time we learn and grow in what it means to say no. So we receive grace as we intentionally say no to the bad habits that have been formed by the vices. So friends, as we reflect on the messages that we have covered during the season of Lent, my invitation to you this morning is do not miss the grace of God. Do not hear the list of vices or hear anything preached from this pulpit and think that we're trying to, to force you into being more righteous and more godly and you need to go do it by your own effort. Our heart has never been to communicate in such a way where you just feel condemned all the time. Rather, we need to hear in these vices a way to look at ourselves rightly. And that as we see ourselves rightly, we see our need for the grace of God. And as we respond to the grace of God, we recognize it teaching us to say no to the outworking of these vices in our lives. I want to add to this as well that as we deal with sin in our lives, it's awfully, it's, it's, it's usually very uncomfortable, right? Like it's, it's, it's stuff that we don't want to deal with. And when we become aware of these vices operating in us, I'm sure we have moments where we're engaging in something and our thought is, hey, hey God, can you just look away right now? You know, like, I don't want you to see me doing this thing or whatever it is. Because it makes us uncomfortable. Again, when, when these vices are revealing um, areas where we go for salvation or identity or comfort, um, we need to relearn to find that in God. And, and that's, that's a difficult journey. But I want to encourage you not to allow a series like this to simply come and go. Because that's the temptation. To be like, man, that was a great sermon series. And just move on with your life. But I encourage you to slow down and prayerfully ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, where are we at right now? What work do you want to do on my life in this season? Where are the vices just wreaking havoc in me and in my relationships? God, help me to receive your grace. Not only for forgiveness from engaging in those vices, but receive your grace to learn to say no to them. You're not to, you are not lost to these vices. You are not lost to them to wallow in frustration or defeat. You are not abandoned to these vices or to your sin to have to try to figure out how to overcome them on your own. Rather, God is with you. 
And in grace, his mercy comes to you. As you see yourselves in these vices, hear an invitation to come to Jesus. Hear the invitation to come to Jesus, to receive from him what living in that vice could never give you. Hear the invitation of Jesus to come to him to learn how to meet your legitimate needs in a legitimate way. I'm going to invite the worship team to to come up. So my question for us this morning as I close is, have you received this grace? Maybe some of you are are like me and you're prone to legalism. Where it's so easy to, to systematize what I think a righteous life might look like and And I almost lose track of God and his grace in my attempts to become more righteous. And the irony of that is is profound. But friends, we need to receive God's grace. Maybe for some of you this morning, you've been really feeling this, man, like I just, I can't figure this out. I I keep making mistakes. I'm a a horrible Christian. Whatever it is, all these things that you might be thinking, the self-condemnation that you might be feeling Receive God's grace this morning. A grace that looks at you in that situation. It doesn't just brush off all those feelings. It doesn't look at you and say, oh no, you're actually really good. No, instead it comes to you in that place. And the grace of God begins to work healing and redemption. Helping you to see what your identity in Christ really is. Or maybe some of you this morning have never received the grace of God. Maybe the whole talk of grace, maybe the whole talk of, of living a righteous or, or, or good life is, is new to you. Maybe the talk of, of being able to partner with God to experience life the way that he designed you for is new to you. I want to encourage you this morning to receive that grace. It's as simple as recognizing what Christ has done for you on the cross and crying out to him for his forgiveness, for his grace, for his help. So when we give our lives over to God and we partner with him in experiencing the life that he has for us, friends, it is a life abundant. A life with a profound identity that is rooted in the work of Jesus that does not change. It is a life that comes with purpose. A life that comes with deep belonging, all found in God. Let's pray together. Father God, we praise you for the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That Jesus, you endured the outworking and the consequences of sin. And that in doing so, Lord, you've given us the opportunity to experience that life abundant as we look to you, as we trust in you. You've given us the opportunity to experience and live in forgiveness. So Father, I pray this morning that you would forgive us for being a people who who may think that we need to do this on our own. Lord, forgive us for the ways that we try to figure this out on our own. Forgive us for the ways that we hide from you in the midst of our sin instead of turning towards you. And Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would just minister to us this morning, that you would help us to receive grace. Lord, help us to see that you stoop down and come to us in those places of need. Lord, when we are in our most sinful state, Jesus, you you come there. 
Lord, help us to see that as we long to, to live more righteously, as we long to say no to unrighteousness, Lord, that you partner with us in teaching us how to say no. Help us not to ignore your help. And Lord, as we partner with you, God, thank you that you bring life abundant and joy to the fullest. So Jesus, help us to experience that, we pray. Jesus, we love you and we, we sing of your grace now. In Jesus' name.